lesson, the sermon that has been prepared. Father, you know how badly I would like our church to be able to grow uh, spiritually in the areas that we study. And Father, it, it just seems like so often we come to church, we hear another sermon, and we leave just the same way we came in. Father, I pray that tonight would not be so. I pray that tonight, Father, the Holy Spirit would just move through us, Lord. I pray you'd help me. I pray you'd help these other truth, Father, that something would motivate us to, to change, to grow, to action, Lord, to be able to uh, do something in regards to what we'll be looking at. Love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Well, we're there. In Matthew chapter number 6, and if you remember last week, we began Matthew 6, and we dealt with the first six verses, and a few of the scattered verses there, we dealt with the subject of hypocrisy, and serving God from your heart. Tonight, we're going to be dealing with uh, just just the, the, uh, a very small section of, uh, not, not too small, but we'll be dealing with what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, Seven there uh, through fifteen, and the next week we'll deal with the with the end of the chapter, and we'll move on to chapter number seven. But I, I want you to understand as we study the Lord's Prayer, and I don't even really like calling it that because, to be honest with you, it's not the Lord's Prayer. There actually is a Lord's Prayer that we can find Jesus praying in in the book of John, and we may study that out at some point, uh, the actual Lord's Prayer. But this passage here, if you look at verse number 7, the Bible says, But when ye pray... Now I want you to notice something. The Lord Jesus Christ assumes that you and I are going to pray. He doesn't say, if ye pray. He says, when ye pray. Use not vain repetition, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. Now, notice verse 9. He says, After this manner, therefore, pray, and make no this word, ye. Do you see this? Jesus is not praying this prayer. This is not the Lord's prayer. If anything, it's the disciples' prayer. It's Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Do you understand that? If you, as we go through the prayer, you'll see, Jesus doesn't need to pray this prayer. You and I need to learn from this prayer. But I want you to understand something. This is a pattern for prayer. This is an example for prayer. We are to look at this example and see how it is that God wants us and Jesus wants us to pray. But I want you to understand a couple things. Number, uh, verse 7, when ye pray, God expects you to pray. He says, when ye pray, look at verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray. He said, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you a pattern you can follow. Now, you need to understand this, and I want to make this as clear as I can. Okay? Jesus specifically taught that Christians were not to pray vain, uh, to, to, to perform or to give uh, what he called vain and repetitious prayers. Are you there in verse number 7? Look at what it says. But when ye pray, now notice what he says. He says, use not. He's saying, I don't want you to do this. He says, when you pray, here's what I don't want you to do. He says, I'm about to tell you what I want you to do. After this matter, therefore pray ye. He says, I'm about to tell you what I'd like you to do. But here's what I don't want you to do. He says, use not vain repetitions. Okay, do you know what the word repetitions means? 
It means to repeat something over and over. He said, look, when you take a prayer and you repeat it over and over and over and over, it is vain. The word vain means with no value. It means there is no worth to it. It's just something you're saying. It's not from your heart. It's just something you're reading, something you memorize. He says, use not vain repetitions. Now notice, look what he says. As the heathen do. He says, look, heathens are the ones that pray repetitiously over and over and over again. Now notice what he says, for they, the word they there is referring to the heathen he just talked about. He says, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Okay, so Jesus, look, Jesus, if you need any proof of knowing that Jesus was God, this ought to be enough proof right here. Jesus is about to teach them how he wants them to pray, and Jesus was enough of God to understand that what people were going to do was going to take his prayer and begin to chant it. Who has ever heard... In a church, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church is the number one church known for this. But you know what? It's not just the Catholic Church. There are many organizations. There are many quote-unquote Christian churches that do this. I mean, who has ever heard a church where they'll come together and they'll just begin to say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the, the people repeat, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, people literally won't... Here, here's what's so frustrating to me. Jesus says, I don't want you to pray vain and repetitious prayers. I don't want you to do what the heathen do. I want you to pray like this. He gives them a prayer, then people take that prayer and say, well, let's just repeat that prayer over and over. I mean, does that make any sense to anybody? And by the way, you are never to just pray a vain and repetitious prayer. If you ever, you know, get backslidden and go to some church where they do this, I mean, just refuse to do it. You say, why? Because it's what the heathen do. That's what Jesus said. He said, but when thou prayest... I'm sorry, I lost my point. Uh, Verse number 9. I mean, I just want to say this. After this matter, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, uh, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. Now here, this prayer is a great pattern prayer. The prayer is a great lesson on prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. But again, just read verse 7 again. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. It's wrong. And you ought not do it. You ought not, there ought to be no prayer that you just, you, you know, it's wrong to have a book of prayer where you just open up and you just pray. Now pray this prayer ten times. And I'll turn to this page and pray this prayer ten times. That's not praying. That is not, prayer is communicating with God. Prayer is speaking to God. Prayer is asking and receiving from God. Prayer is not just repeating words over and over. And and Jesus specifically rebukes it. He says, don't do it. He says, let me show you how I want you to do it. And then people take that prayer and do the vain repetitious prayers of that prayer. It's just insane to me. The, the, the little, but you know what it comes down to? Tradition. And it comes down to the fact that people just don't really care what the Bible says. They don't really care what Jesus said. It's just it's our tradition. This is what we do. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Even if the same Lord told you not to do it. So as we go through this, I want, I want to make sure I make that point very clear. Because as we go through this, I don't want you to think that I'm advocating that you go home and pray this prayer 10,000 times before you go to bed tonight. 
You pray to God from your heart. You communicate to Him. But here is a pattern. Here is an example of how we can learn to pray. Now, let me be very honest with you. I don't think there is an area in Christianity that we, I, you, struggle in more than in prayer. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is to pray, and you know it's true. If you, if you sit here, as your manners, I have absolutely no problem with praying. You are a liar. <laughs> because no matter how much you pray, we could all pray more. And prayer is an area that is difficult. See, as we've been going through this passage, remember he was talking about doing the things that are seen of men, right? See, you've got to understand this. It's easy to do the things that you're seen of men. When men see you serve God, it's easy to do those things, because you're being expected to do those things. But to get alone in a closet by yourself, and pray to God in secret, that is difficult to do, and that takes real Christian character. And I want to go through this as quickly as we can, and teach you what Jesus taught us in regards to praying. But I want, I want you to understand, there's a theme through this passage as we go through it. I want to give it to you, okay? You need to understand this when it comes to your prayer life. If you're taking notes, you like to take notes, you might want to write this down. God's role in our lives determines if He answers the requests of our lives. Let me give that to you again. God's role in our lives determines if He answers the request of our lives. You've got to understand this about God. He is not a lucky charm. He is not, you know, the, the, the foot of a rabbit that you put on your windshield or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, your, your rearview mirror. He's not, he's not a little statue of Buddha that brings you good luck. He is not obligated to answer your prayers. And the role that He plays in your life will actually determine whether or not He answers the requests that you have in your life. As you go through this passage, you'll see it. Number one, if you're taking notes, I've got a few, few notes for you. Number one, in regards to prayer, I want you to see notes. We come to God in prayer as our parent. We come to God in prayer as our parent. Are you there in Matthew chapter 6? Look at verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Now notice what Jesus says. Our Father. Our Father. Which art in heaven. God's role in our lives determines if He answers the request of our lives. And here, Jesus teaches us, when we come to God, we ought to come to God as our Father. As our parent. Now you got to understand this, okay? Keep your finger there in Matthew 6. That's the text for tonight. But go to, go to Mark 14. We'll try to go through this as quickly as we can. And not, not waste too much time. Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14. And let me just show you a couple things. Mark chapter number 14. We'll begin at verse number 34. Mark chapter number 14. And look at verse number 34. Mark 14. Matthew, Mark. Just next book. Mark 14, verse 34. Mark 14, 34, the Bible says, And saith unto them, Now this is Jesus, he's getting ready to die. Okay, he's getting ready to go into the, 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 the crucifixion time here. Before, right before he's arrested, but he knows he's going to be arrested. Mark 14, 34, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. Now notice when Jesus prays, verse 36, what he says. 
And he said, Abba, Father. Do you see that? He says, Abba, Father. All things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Okay? I want you to see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son, approached his heavenly Father as God the Father, as his Father. He cried, he said, Abba, Father. Now go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, you're there, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, Galatians 4. Jesus, the Son, had access to God, the Father, and was able to pray to His Father, and He said the word Abba, Abba means Father. It's a, it's a, we're told it's a, it's a word of endearment for Father, I don't know if that's really true, but it just means, we know it means Father, it means uh, Dad. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible. Now here's what's interesting, we have access to the same God the Father, because of Jesus Christ. Are you there in Galatians chapter 4? Look at verse 6. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 6. And because ye are sons. You see that? If you are saved, the Bible says, as many as receive him, to then give you power to become the sons of God. When you got saved, you got born again into the family of God. You became a child of God. You became a son or a daughter of God. Galatians 4, 6, it says, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, notice what he says, Abba, Father. Do you see that? When you got saved, the Spirit of His Son came into your heart and you became a son and the same way that Jesus could go to His Father and say, Abba, Father, now you and I have the same access to God as Jesus did. Hey, you and I can cry out to God, Abba, Father. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse 15. Romans chapter number 8, verse 15. But you got to understand this, okay? We have access to God the Father because of Jesus Christ. But here's even better than that. We have the same access to God the Father as Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 15. Romans 8, 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. You got saved, you got adopted into the family of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You got to understand this. When you and I get on our knees to pray, you can say, Our Heavenly Father. You can cry out to God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the world, the man, the, the one that sent uh, the, 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 his son, the, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. I mean, the all-powerful, ever-existing God of the universe, but you and I can approach him as our parent, as our father. I mean, I, I, you say, well, Pastor, I, I've heard that before. I know, but have you ever said and thought about the fact that you can approach God as easy as my boys and my daughter can just come up to me and ask me for anything, and they do, <coughs> all the time. I mean, just as easy as they're able to do that, you have the same access to the God that created the universe. See, we come to God as our parent, as our father. God's role in our life is to be our father. Go to Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 9 again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. God's role in our lives is to be our Father, but you know what? We approach God as our Father. But number two, I said number one, we come to God in prayer as our Father. Number two, we come to God in prayer with praise. 
We come to God in prayer with praise. Look at verse 9. After this matter, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. Now notice this word. Hallowed be thy name. I, I love that phrase. Hallowed be thy name. Do you know what the word hallowed means? It means sanctified. It comes from the same word as holy. He says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You don't have to turn here. If you'd like to write this reference out, let me just read it for you. Exodus 27, part of the Ten Commandments says, Exodus 27 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Let me tell you something. The charismatic, ecumenical, contemporary Christian movement of, of America today has just dragged down the name of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is disrespectful. I, I don't know how many contemporary Christians that don't read their Bibles that probably think it's okay to go ahead and repeat the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer with the Catholics and with whoever else is doing it, and they just go around. I mean, I've heard people refer to Jesus Christ as, you know, he's just JC. He's not JC. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, hallowed be thy name. The Bible says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We ought to, you know, we ought to approach the name of God. If you, if you walk around and you stub your toe and you say, you know, oh my God, that's disrespectful. Well, I, I like to use that whenever I get excited about something. Oh my God, the Bible says to not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He says, look, if you're going to use my name, there will be some, some value to it. There ought to be a reason you're doing it. You ought not just use it as a curse word. Hallowed be thy name. He's not the man upstairs. He's not JC. He's not your buddy. He's not your friend. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his title. That's his name. And we ought to approach God with reverence. We come to God in prayer with praise, realizing that he is much better than you and I. Sick and tired of this mentality. You know, we gotta, we, we're, we're thankful that we can come to Jesus as a friend. But let me tell you something. You know, the men in the Bible that spoke to God as a friend, speaketh unto a friend, still approach them with reverence. How would be thy name? I said, number one, we come to God in prayer as our parent. I said, number two, we come to God in prayer with praise. Number three, we come to God in prayer as our principality. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. We're talking about the roles that God plays in your lives. He's your father, but you ought to approach him with praise. Hallowed be thy name. He's your father, but you know what? We ought to approach him as a principality. You say, what do you mean by that word principality? The word principality means this. The position of authority of a prince or chief ruler, sovereign, supreme power. Now notice how Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He says, after this matter, therefore, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now notice verse 10. Thy kingdom come. Do you see that? The fact that he's referring to a kingdom means he's refer- he, that we are referring to a king. Do you understand that? Thy kingdom come. Now notice, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. See, you've got to understand this. Oh, let me just show you this. Look at verse 13. Skip down to verse 13 real quick. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice what it says. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You've got to understand this. Jesus Christ, and God the Father, is not just your Savior. He's not just your Father. The Bible tells us He's your Lord. He's your Master. He's in charge of you. When you approach God... Now listen. 
Have we yet began to ask for anything? No. Now prayer is asking. The word prayer literally just means to ask. And God wants you to pray. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. But I want you to understand something. Before we ever get to our petitions, before we get to start asking God for things, He says you ought to approach Him as your Father with reverence, praising His name, hallowed be Thy name, and you ought to approach Him with this attitude, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. As the fact that He... See, you've got to understand this. Go, go to Acts real quickly. Acts chapter 9. Remember what we said? What was the theme? God's role in our lives determines if He answers the request of our lives. You've got to understand this. Most of us want God to answer our prayers. But you know what? Most of us do not want God's will to be done in our lives. Now, we won't say that. You would never say that out loud. But you know how, to, how you ought to live your life? Every time you have to make a decision, you ought to ask yourself this question. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. If you get up in the morning, and you know that you're either, you know, because you woke up late, you either have time to read your Bible, or you have time to grab a Pop-Tart. What are you going to do? Now here's what most of us do, grab the Pop-Tart. Or the whatever. But you know, you know what you ought to ask yourself? Father, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you were to act on earth the way that you would act in heaven, what do you think God would have you to do? See, when you start asking yourself, when you give God His rightful place, you say, He's my Father, but He's your King. He's my Father, but He's your Lord. See, you know why you know, people say, Pastor, man, I struggle coming to church on Sundays. I struggle. Sunday morning's really hard for me. Sunday night's really hard for me. Wednesday night's really hard for me. Soul winning's really hard for me. It wouldn't be hard for you if you just asked yourself, I will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because I can promise you this, if it was up to God, I know where He'd want you to be. Well, Greg, should I, should I, I'm struggling with prayer. But if you just have the attitude, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. See, you say, you, you, we, we want to get to the petitions, but we don't want to get to God's role in our lives. We want to get to the give us this day our daily bread. We want to get to deliver us from evil. We want to get to all the requests we have. But before you get to the request, God says, make sure you're in God's will for your life. He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Are you there in Acts 9? Look at verse 5. Acts 9, verse 5. Here we have Paul speaking. Paul's amazing to me. Paul's one of the most amazing characters, I think, in Scripture. I mean, every time I think of Paul, I'm just humbled by his life. But you know, Paul had a pretty good start to his Christian life. Here we find Paul. He just got thrown off the horse on the Damascus Road. And he's speaking to Jesus Christ. This, this could be used as a loose example of praying. Because here you have God, uh, Paul speaking to Jesus Christ, okay? Now, it's not necessarily praying, because Jesus actually appeared to him, and they're having a conversation. But I, I want you to notice two questions that Paul asked, right off the bat. I think these questions set Paul up to be the great man of God that he ended up being. Acts 9, verse 5. And he said, this is Paul's first question to Jesus, Who art thou? But notice, he answers his own question, Lord. He knows he's Lord. Doesn't really matter what his name is, he knows he's Lord, but he says, Who art thou, Lord? That's a good question, because, of course, Paul was, Saul, at this time, was persecuting the church. And the Lord said, notice what he says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. See, before you got saved, you have to acknowledge Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so, many of us ask the question, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus Christ. Okay, I can accept that. But here's where most of us fail, verse 6. 
And he trembling and astonished said, Here's a question most of us fail to ask God. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, we, we, we want the salvation, but I don't really care what God wants me to do. See, man, Paul's going to get to heaven. He's got all these crowns. He's, he's going to have all this glory. He's going to be, you, you know, he was used of God in such a great way. I wonder if he was used of God because he was willing to ask this question. Lord, what will thou have me to do? You know what he was saying? Thy will be done. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. See, we've got to get to the place in our lives where we stop doing what we want to do, and we're just asking God, What would you have me to do? What do you want from me? See, only when you put God in his proper place in your life can you begin to ask the request. Only when God's role in our life is in the right place, only God's placing of, uh, in our lives, that will determine if he answers the request that we bring to him. Hey, Pastor, I feel like I pray and I never get my prayers answered. Do you have him as your king? Do you have him as your father? Do you have him in a place of respect? Back to Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 11. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 11. We said, number one, God... We come to God in prayer as our parent. We said number two, we come to God in prayer with our praise. We said number three, we come to God in prayer as our principality. That, those are God's roles in our lives. And those things determine if he answers the request of our lives. Number four, we come to God in prayer as our provider. Are you there in Matthew 6? Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with asking for that. There's nothing wrong with asking God to provide for you. But I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to warn you that before you go off and start asking God to provide for you, make sure that you can first say, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in my life. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And by the way, go, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James, towards the end of the New Testament, after the book of Hebrews, James chapter number 1. James chapter 1, look at verse number 17. James 1, 17. James 1, after Hebrews. James 1, 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing that has ever happened to you came from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I love it when, when, when you take prayer requests and, and many of you will raise your hand and give a praise report of an answered prayer that God gave you. You know why? Because when God answers your prayer, we ought to praise Him for it. Because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good thing that has ever happened to you came from God. It is by God's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. We come to God in prayer as our provider. Number five. Go back to Matthew chapter six. We come to God in prayer as our partner. If you're there in Matthew six, look at verse twelve. Now, the interesting thing about verse twelve is divided into two parts. The first part says this: "And forgive us our debts." Are you glad that God forgives? First John one nine says you have to turn there. It says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the word faithful because here's what it means: every time you confess your sins, every time He'll forgive you. He's not going to run out of forgiveness. 
He's not going to run out of grace. He's not going to run out of mercy. Every time, every time, he says, if we confess, all you got to do is confess. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives us. But look at the second part of the verse, Matthew 6.12. Forgive us our debts. Now notice what he says. Here's the hard part. As we forgive our debtors. Now look, if God would forgive you in the same way you forgive others, would you ever be forgiven? See, and here's the thing. You say, well, well, doesn't God forgive you? Of course God forgives you. He's trying to illustrate this point. You and I ought to forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven. Let's skip down to verse 14. Look what he says. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father uh, forgive your trespasses. Ephesians 4.32, you don't have to turn there, let me just read it for you. The Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you understand that God did not forgive you because He likes you? God did not forgive you because He thinks you're a good person. God did not forgive you because He wants you around. The Bible says God forgave you for Christ's sake. Because Christ came down to this earth. See, because Christ died on the cross, because Christ now goes to the Father and is a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, because God stands between you and me, you and I can find forgiveness in God. But look, you and I don't deserve forgiveness for God. He has forgiven us, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And because you were forgiven when you did not deserve it, because of Christ, God went ahead and forgave you. Shouldn't you forgive others? You don't know what they've done to me. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. What, you don't know what you did to Christ. Your sins and my sins put him on the cross. And he still forgives us. He still loves us. That's the way we ought to love others. That's the way we ought to forgive others. Look at verse 13. Number 6. We come to God in prayer as our protector. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Now, you got to understand the word temptation. Often, you and I think of the word temptation as we're tempted to sin. And there's definitely that terminology there. But the word temptation can mean something else. Go back to James chapter 1. I should have told you to keep your finger there, and I didn't. I apologize. Keep your finger in James, because we're going to leave it, and then we're going to come back to it. But let me show you uh, James chapter number 1, after the book of Hebrews, James 1. We're almost done. i got 15 minutes, and we'll be right on time. Okay, James chapter 1. you got to understand, temptation is a trying or a testing of your faith. And you got to understand this. Temptations are not necessarily a bad thing. James 1-2 says, My brethren, are you there? I want you to see it. James 1-2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Do you see that? He says, look, be happy that you fell into temptations. Why? Verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying, that's the temptation, same word, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Temptations are not necessarily bad. Now keep your finger there in James, okay? Go to Luke, chapter number 8. Luke, we're almost done. We're we're looking at a few passages, but we're getting ready to finish up right here. Uh, Keep your finger there in James. Go to Luke, chapter number 8. Luke, chapter number 8. Luke, chapter number 8. Temptations are not necessarily a bad thing. But here's the thing. Temptations can be a very dangerous time. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Luke 8, 13 says, 
They on the rock, here's the parable of the sower. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy. Okay, so these people, they heard it. They received the word. And these have no root, which for a while believe. Now look, uh, people argue with me about this. And if you want to argue with me about it, it's fine. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I don't come down too hard on this. But I believe that these people in this parable, this ground, I believe they were saved. Because the Bible says they believed. Okay? They received the word, and they believed. Here's the problem. They had no root. They had no foundation. They got saved, but they never got taught, grounded in the word. And here's what happened to them. And in time of temptation, do you see that word? In time of temptation, fell away. Okay, sometimes when you go through a temptation, you can fall away from following Christ. That doesn't mean you weren't saved, it just means you had no root. That doesn't mean you weren't saved, it just means you were weak. It means you had no foundation. But temptations in and of themselves are not a bad thing. Because remember, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Now you understand this. And I, I hope, you, I hope you, you grasp this concept. Because I don't want you to leave here with the wrong idea of temptation. Because you may be asking yourself, Well, if I was going to fall into a temptation, if I was going to fall into temptation, then why, you know, why would God put me through them? You've got to understand this. If you fall during a temptation, it is, it is not God's fault, it is your fault. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 13. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There have no... What's that word say? Temptation, right? There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Number one, you're not going through anything that, it, that someone else hasn't gone through. Period. You and I like to make it sound like we're the only ones that ever dealt with this, but you know what? There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you're struggling with, someone else struggled with it. But God is faithful. Now notice what the Bible says. There's a promise from God. Who will not suffer? The word suffer there means allow. Who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able See, any trial, any struggle, any temptation, anything you're going through, you know, you and I, we like to say, this is more than I can handle. But the fact that you're going through it proves that you can handle it. Because God will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear. Whatever trial, whatever struggle, whatever temptation, whatever storm, whatever you're going through, you have the ability to go through it with Jesus Christ. So why don't we? Because we choose not to. Because we decide to quit. But you could do it. Because God won't allow a temptation in your life that you can't handle. Why do so many people quit through a temptation? Here's what you got to understand. A lot of people are just looking for an excuse to quit. Remember when you talked about duty? They're done with their duty. They don't want to do it anymore. It's not that they can't go through it. It's that they don't want to go through it. Go back to James chapter 1. Look at verse 12. James 1, 12. And please understand, I'm not minimizing any trial or temptation, and I'm not sitting here telling you that I've gone through all your trials and temptations. I'm telling you this. Someone has, and I know this, Jesus Christ has. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we, yet the only difference is without sin. Everything you've ever gone through, Jesus went through. He said, I've been betrayed, so was Jesus. I've been beaten, so was Jesus. 
I was lied about, so was Jesus. I was killed, so was Jesus. Everything you've ever gone through, he's gone through it. James 1.12, look what it says. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. It's a blessed thing to endure temptation. It's a blessing. Do you see the word, the word there? It's a blessing to go through a temptation and endure it. Why? For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven for a long time? Is comparing battle scars. You know, I don't want to be comparing anything with Paul. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, yeah, can you imagine just being in heaven and just being like, oh man, I was really struggling there for a while. Well, what happened to you? I lost my job. Paul's like, I got beaten. I got stoned. They beat me with rods. I died once. Every time I went to, I got in prison. He said, I, I suffered shipwrecks. He said, you know, I mean, I don't want to compare battle scars with Paul, you know. I want to compare battle scars with you. <laughs> Your little struggles. <laughs> Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Why? For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. Okay. Luke 22. Luke 22. We're done. We're done right here. So going through a temptation is not necessarily bad. Temptations can be dangerous. If you quit during a temptation, it's not God's fault. It's your fault because he won't allow you to go through anything that you can't handle. When God puts you through a temptation, it is to make you better. But, with all that said, it's okay to not volunteer for a temptation. Does that make sense? Luke twenty-two forty. look what Jesus said. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Do you see that? It's okay for you to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead me not into temptation. Help me not to go through temptation. It's okay to pray that. Now make sure, when you're praying that, from time to time, God is still going to have you go through a temptation. Jesus Christ said, let this cup pass from me. He said, I don't want to go through this, Jesus. But guess what? Then he said, not my will, but thine be done. And he went to the cross anyway. Do you understand that? So from time to time, you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through temptation. It's God's will. It's what he wants. It's good for you. Just endure it. But it's okay to pray, Lord, I don't want to go through the temptation. I'd like to challenge you. If God does not have the proper place, the proper role in your life, you ought to put him in that proper place. You say, Pastor, what do I do? I, I haven't really made him the king. He's my savior, but he's not my king. We talked about it. Just confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, you can ask God to forgive you for any sin. So just start over. Could you imagine... I'd like to just, just, take, just, just take a few moments. Just imagine what could happen church with a group, even a group this size. I know there's not many of us here tonight, it's a Wednesday night. But could you imagine with a group this size what would happen if we stopped talking about prayer and started actually praying? I pray. I'm talking about more than just a couple minutes before our meals. I mean, could you imagine if we just became actual prayer warriors? Can you imagine what would happen in your life? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen with your children? What would happen in this community? What would happen in this church? If you and I actually got on fire for God and began to pray like Jesus taught us to? Say, so what's the challenge? Here's the challenge. I, 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 just, I, I just want to challenge you. Would you, would you pray? Would you, would you just take the next three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
And just say, the first thing I'm going to do when I get up in the morning, I'm going to pray. Why don't you pray through these categories? God as your parent. Approaching them with praise. Allowing him to be the principality. Saying, thy will be done in my life. Ask him to provide. Ask him to pardon. Ask him to protect. See, it's God's role in our lives that determines if he answers the request that we bring to him. I mean, I, could you imagine what could happen? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what could happen with a life that would solely give itself over to God. I don't know. I know this. We haven't seen it. What to God that you and I would get that fire to just say, I want to approach God in prayer. The greatest weapon you and I have is prayer. Is the one we use the least. Our heads and every word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would use the lesson, the sermon, the lives of our people. And Father, if there is no one here who is motivated to pray, Father, I pray you'd help me to get motivated to pray. We have the opportunity to enter the throne of grace with our request. Our Heavenly Father, King of Glory, help us not to waste that. Help us to approach you every day in prayer. Approach you every day with our petitions. But before we ask for requests, put you in the right role in our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you for Bible study. We're in this passage tonight because it's Matthew chapter 6. And next week we'll finish Matthew chapter 6. But Father, I pray that you would just use the passage and the role of our lives, Lord, to motivate us to pray. Love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.